0: Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Context here is that uh, Jesus has died and this is a familiar, should be a familiar uh, passage to some, maybe new to some, uh, but this is the account of what we know as the walk to Emmaus. And uh, there's just so much. Uh, I've, I've taught this passage like five or six different ways Uh, And there's just always something that I see new that comes out of it. And uh, the context here is that Jesus has died and uh, there's two of his disciples, one named Cleopas and the other one unnamed that are walking about seven miles from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. Now, uh, if you know anything about uh, the Bible at all, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, uh, there's a list of all the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. Cleopas is not one of the, of, of the 12, which implies that, uh, but, but he still, he, he, he's, he's still uh, seen in the context as a follower of Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus had more people that ended up following him than just the 12? But he selected 12 for his life group. Jesus was in a life group. What's your excuse, okay? So uh, he, yeah, it's good. So uh, he selected 12 guys to live life with and to appoint for ministry work. They were his ministry team. They were his circle. They were his posse. They were his entourage, everybody, okay? So Jesus had these group of guys Cleopas isn't one of the uh, of the twelve, but he is a disciple of Jesus, and he's walking with an unknown traveler. Some scholars say that the unknown traveler uh, could have been his wife. Uh, others say it was a friend. There's no way to know because the scripture doesn't tell us who it is. But all we know is there's two disciples, two followers of Jesus, on the road to Emmaus. We'll start in verse thirteen. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. You ever find yourself just talking about all the things that seem to be happening in your life lately? We sang a song about in the pressing and the crushing. How many of you are painfully aware when there's time of pressing or crushing in your life? You should be because it's painful to be pressed or crushed. Okay, if, if, if not, you might be suffering from lack of feeling. <laughs> but pressing and crushing is a, is a painful experience. You could say that these two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus are walking through a time of pressing and crushing. The one that they counted to be the Messiah, the one that they had followed around for X amount of time, we don't know how long, but we'll see later in the passage that they were very well known to now The remaining 11, we know that uh, Judas Iscariot is no longer on on the scene, the one that betrayed Jesus. But at the end of this passage, we're going to see that they have interaction with the 11, and they know exactly where they're staying. So maybe they're not a part of the entourage, but they knew people. You know anybody that knows people? Maybe you're somebody that knows people. Your people will get with my people, that kind of a thing, right? So these people were connected. They were connected to the inner workings of Jesus's ministry. Everybody okay with that? All right. So these guys had seen Jesus do miracles. You know, what's kind of a troubling time in your life is when you've seen God do it, but right now it's not happening. That's a different place than even never seeing God do anything. Because when you know he can do it, but you don't understand why in this certain situation the thing you're believing for is not happening, that can be a very frustrating place. That can be a pressing time, can it? Anybody ever been confused in their process of following Jesus before? Honest? All right, so we got the majority lying Christians in the house tonight, but we got a few honest Christians. So Lord, we just pray honesty over the house today. We pray vulnerability, God, and that uh, we can respond correctly to the questions that I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody ever been confused in their walk with Jesus before? Oh, look at this. Revival's breaking out. This is amazing. Incredible what happens. Honesty. You know, sometimes we don't really understand what God's up to. In that song we sang about new wine, there's a piece in there that we kind of have to let go of our ability to understand, don't we? I love what uh, St. Francis, one of the fathers of the church said. He said, a man has not totally surrendered to God if he still clings to the purse of his own opinions. You wanna know one of the biggest thing that gets in our way from experiencing total freedom in the Lord because the truth of it is this, is that your level of freedom in your life, all right, that you're walking in, in any area, is directly connected to your level of surrender to God. The reason we surrender to God is because there's freedom in it for us. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You know, you're a 100 times more free under grace than you ever were under the power of sin. See, people that don't surrender to God think that they're gonna lose their freedom. If I follow Jesus, I have to give up this, this, and this. And I'm gonna stop having fun. They, they, they never, they've never been told about the new wine. Some of you haven't either. But we're gonna get it to you. Just keep coming, and I'll make sure that you'll get some new wine. Amen? Everybody will get some. There's enough in God. All right, All right. let that go. So, one more time. Anybody been confused in their walk with Jesus before? Not able to discern what it was that God was doing in a season or having unanswered questions. God, why did that situation play out that way? Or, or, or why did that relationship suddenly end? I thought things were going good. I, I, I thought that there was honesty and, and transparency. It seemed to de- deteriorate so fast. God, I thought you called me to this position. I thought you had me make this move to this city. I thought you told me this was the right step and then we're in the middle of the pressing and the crushing. Anybody been there before? Turn to your neighbor and say, you've been there before. All right, very good. This is where Cleopas and his companion are. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. You know what I love about Jesus is that even in our road of worry, doubt, confusion, faithlessness, anxiety, depression, worry, fear, turmoil, sorrow, even when we're walking the path of life through those seasons and times, Jesus comes close to us and walks with us. Now check this out though. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Whenever we're walking through times of pressing or crushing, which is equal to worrying, anxiety, fear, turmoil, anguish, whatever it might be, sorrow, a lot of times our eyes are prevented from seeing Jesus. Not because Jesus isn't present. Notice the preceding verse says that while they were talking and discussing together, do you think that they were uplifting one another in the Lord, in their discussion? Here you have two people that have walked closely in the ministry circle of Jesus, the one that they were expecting to be Messiah, the one they were expecting to deal with Rome's rule, the one they were expecting to totally fulfill all the prophecies, they watched him die a horrific death on a cross. The cross in that moment, church, was not about victory. The only way cross is about victory is when you have resurrection. In that moment, the cross was defeat. In that moment, the cross was the end. And this is how thick-headed the disciples were. Jesus even said that he was gonna die. And they didn't listen because they were too caught up in the moment. They were too caught up with other things and here they are now discouraged. It's been three days and they're going to this village. Some scholars say that it's the hometown of Cleopas and that after leaving his occupation to follow Jesus as a disciple, now that Jesus is out of the scene, he's just going back to what he knew. He's going back to an old flame. He's going back to an old way of doing things. Let me tell you when carnality, and focus on the flesh creeps in in your life. It's whenever there's a meantime that you're walking through. It's whenever you're being pressed and you have a crushing experience going on and instead of seeking the remedy of the new wine, we seek the remedy of old flames. I got some people tonight that are in, I'm talking to you're in toxic relationships. Let let me talk to you about this. Those of you that are on the, the, in in the dating scene and no matter how you try, you seem to go, keep going back to that ex that's no good for you. Are you listening to me? This This is a side trail, by the way, but somebody needs to hear this because whenever the fear of loneliness creeps in, it's better to go back to the old flame that burned you than to live alone. People do this repeatedly, constantly. Whenever a pressing or a trial comes in regards of staying free from addiction of any kind, instead of allowing the new wine of God to come in, and I talked to you last week, if you're under the influence of wine, you've got a boldness about you that you don't normally have. You have a joy about you that you don't normally have. The book of Ephesians says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a connection to being drunk with wine and filled with the Holy Spirit. But see, out of laziness and fear of loneliness, people learn to keep company with everything and everyone except the Holy Spirit. So we go back to old flames, old ways of doing things, old vices, old habits, and we wonder why we get burned again. But the whole time, if we'll make a choice to when the pressing and the crushing comes at us, we press into it. The promise is new wine. The scripture says, after you endure for a little while. The church at large oftentimes suffers not from lack of anointing, but from lack of endurance. Because we don't know how to commune or have communion With the great comforter who is the Holy Spirit. There's a remedy to pressing and crushing in your life, church, and it's not old flames and old ways of doing things. It's the new wine of God who's the person of the Holy Ghost that you're meant to, that you are literally made, designed to have communion with. Your heart is designed to be a fireplace for the Holy Spirit to dwell. You're not, you will not be fully fulfilled in your life without full communion with God. I'm not talking about just raising your hand and praying a prayer. I'm talking about learning how to live in a yoked together marriage covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about. That's the type of communion that we're after. And the promise is this, is that we're the ones that change, but Jesus never does. In this road of worry, of discouragement, Cleopas and the disciple, unnamed, the unnamed traveler, going back to old flames, going back to Emmaus, do you notice Jesus' posture in connection to them doesn't change, he walks with them. But their eyes are kept from seeing them. Why are our eyes kept from seeing what God's doing in the middle of those pressing and crushing times? Because the majority of the time we live more impressed by what the devil's doing than what God's doing. And the majority of the time the church has a more skillful ear to hear the voice of the enemy than they do the voice of God. I've never one time been in a, in a counseling session where people couldn't tell me what the devil was telling them. I'm in counseling sessions repeatedly that they can't hear what God's telling them. Something's wrong with that, church. If you're a child of God, part of your birthright is hearing the voice of the Lord. Communion is about conversation. Learning to converse with God. Communion is actually, the definition of communion, is the sharing of your intimate thoughts, feelings, and desires with another person. God wills not just to talk to you. God wills center in in a type of relationship with you that he wants to share the intimate secrets, details, feelings, emotions, thoughts of his heart. God wants to have a heart-to-heart conversation with you. But sometimes we'd rather just have an old flame. Are you listening to me tonight? I don't know about you, but I'm not going back to old flames. Say, God, I don't understand what this current road is. I don't understand the times of the pressing and the crushing, but this one thing I do know, I'm gonna say, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. During this time, make me whatever you want me to be. I claim to have come here with nothing, but I want everything that you have for me. Jesus, you can put new wine in me. If we'll learn to abide with Jesus in the journey, to recognize that he's partnered with us and look to him and abide to him, even in the pressing and the crushing, the promises from the scripture is that if we abide in him and he abides in us, the byproduct will be much fruit. Do you know why a fruitful Christian has no problem with the pressing and the crushing? Because they know it's just time to make new wine. The only way you get fruit, church, is from intimacy. Most people are fruitless because they have no intimacy with God. You don't get fruit from just engaging in prayer whenever the doors are open to this building. You don't get fruit that way. You get fruit, you produce fruit in your life when you learn to rest and yield to the finished work of Christ and to daily make room in your heart for the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing. A lot of times it's just a change of mindset. I'm on this journey of worry and dismay and confusion and disorientation, but I choose to look for Jesus because I know he's here. It's just changing the way we think. It's just the renewing of our mind. It's getting back to that place of abiding in God. When the feeling says that God's forsaken you, remind yourself Jesus is not a liar. He said he'd never leave you or forsake you. My eyes might be prevented from seeing you right now, Lord because I'm so focused on what the devil's doing, I'm so focused on the trial at hand, but I choose to look for you because I know you're not far. I know you're here with me. And then by doing that, an abiding presence of the Lord begins to manifest in my heart, in my life. When I look to Jesus, my thoughts start to go to Jesus. My mind, will, and emotions start to unite to Jesus. I rest in him. I abide in him. And the byproduct is fruitfulness. And I say, let the pressing come. Because the byproduct's only going to be new wine. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, not because he wasn't there, but because they were focused on the wrong thing. Worship, prayer, reading the scriptures, fellowshipping with each other, partaking of the Lord's meal, which we're gonna do tonight, meditating on the goodness of God, making melody in your heart to the Lord, speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all of these things are things that help remove the scales from our eyes so that we can recognize Jesus no matter what road we're going down. And he asked them a question. He said, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? I think sometimes we underplay how humble Jesus really is. You're talking about the truth made flesh asking a question that he already knows the answer to. But do you want to know what it, what's beautiful about Jesus? Jesus isn't like us. He actually asks, he actually listens to understand. He doesn't listen to respond. A lot of people just listen to respond. Oh, I know the truth, and as soon as you shut up, I'm going to give it to you. The beautiful thing about Jesus is not only does he partner with us in times of pressing and crushing, he asks questions that show us that he cares and he wills to understand the situation. I think sometimes we underplay what kind of a friend we have in Jesus. A friend like that you can trust. A friend like that you can say, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Someone that seeks to understand. So he asks these questions. Here's the thing about it. Jesus loves you enough to understand your situation, but he loves you too much to not eventually tell you the truth. But notice the order that he does it. I'm telling you, if you really wanna reach people for Jesus, you should probably follow the model for ministry that he leaves for us. A lot of people are ready to give others both barrels with the truth before they are ready to understand their situation. Let it go, Zach. And they stood still looking sad, and they asked him the question. And they said, concerning Jesus... Of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of these who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Do you know why Jesus asks a question a lot of the time? To show us that he's already placed the answer on the inside of us. He seeks to understand our situation, but in asking this specific question, the men have just said what they need to acknowledge and believe. A group of women had gone to the tomb, it was empty, and there was a report of angels, but because their eyes are focused on the wrong thing, they won't even receive the news from the people of their company. I got news for you, church. Jesus is so good that he seeks to understand your situation and he's a constant source of encouragement and reminding you what he's placed on the inside of you. Look to me and remember what I've placed on the inside of you, he says. And listen to this, I love Jesus. He says, oh foolish ones, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I told you, Jesus seeks to understand you and encourage you, but he loves you too much to not tell you the truth. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus understands, he encourages, he tells you the truth, and then he breaks it down for you. He breaks down the things that are hard to eat in big chunks for you to be able to receive one bite at a time because the Lord is patient and he's kind. And his will is for you to be nourished, not for you to be choked. And he says, that starting with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them all the things concerning himself. He understood them, sympathized with their situation. He encouraged them. He told them the truth. And check this out if you really wanna be a minister of the Lord Jesus and bless people, after he told them the truth, he stuck around to finish the walk with them. This is the truth, but now through relationship, as we walk the rest of this road, I'm gonna break it down for you. Do you know I've had people that have come to me, all right? Everybody knows that uh, I am a, I, well, you don't know this, I am a confirmed Methodist. I went through confirmation classes. I'm a confirmed Methodist. But I'm also card-carrying charismatic. Everybody aware of this? Okay, so let me tell you, and I, because we're family, and you know we identify as a, as a charismatic church, a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. I'm gonna pick on us for just a second. I've had people come to me that have struggled with things like uh, chronic illness in their body. And they've come to me, and they've said, my main, Rub with charismatic people is that the whole time that I was with them, the whole time I was in that group, or I was a, a part of that church, they treated me like a project and not a person. Nobody ever invited me to lunch. Nobody ever asked me near their home. Nobody ever spent time to hear my story. They just stuck their hand on my forehead and told me to be healed. Here's the thing about it. Charismatic people most of the time are doing it out of love. I don't think there's anything wrong for laying hands on the sick to see him recover. Jesus told us to do it. But I do believe that before Jesus ever healed anybody, we see through the scriptures that he looked out over the crowds and he had compassion on them first. Let me tell you guys something, people aren't projects. You don't have the ability to speak into something you haven't taken the time to understand. I love John Maxwell. Anybody ever heard of John Maxwell before? Awesome guy, leadership guru, okay? And I don't know if you know this about John Maxwell, but John Maxwell's primary vocation, his primary call is not a leadership guru. His primary call is an evangelist. John Maxwell has led CEOs of Fortune 500 companies to the Lord. Any business retreat or conference that he does, leadership experience, he'll do things like, he'll say, I'm gonna give you my five principles to success in business. And throughout the days of the conference, he'll only give them four. And at the end, somebody will always ask, what was the fifth? He said, well, if you wanna know about the fifth, you can't, I can't say it here, but I'm gonna be in the hotel lobby and if you'll come by during cocktail hour, I'll talk with you about the fifth one. I just, I, I just I ran out of time. I can't give it to you here, but if you come by, I'll do it. And he said he'll have a line of people waiting to come. And he, t- he shares with them the gospel. And he sees people saved time and time and time again. Here's, here's one of the beautiful things about it. Charismatic people, listen to me. You can take a Listen. He says, I never share my faith with anybody until I earn the right to be able to do it. He said, until I add value to them, I don't share my faith. Anybody know who Heidi Baker is? uh, Full-time missionary in Mozambique, Africa. She's had a powerful ministry, Irish Global Ministries. Raise the dead, see the blind, heal the deaf taking the gospel to unreached people groups in Mozambique. When she first started there, they would go into the villages and as they went into the villages, they would just start setting up shop as soon as they came to an unreached people group. They'd have the whole team with them. They'd start setting up the meal train, you know, for people to eat. They'd start setting up the solar power projectors to play the Jesus movie so that people could see it in their language and that's one of the primary ways that they share the gospel is through film. And people would throw rocks at them and run them out of the village. And she got so discouraged. And she did what most of the time charismatic people do. Lord, do I shake the dust off my sandals and not go back over there because I wasn't received. That person just didn't have the level of faith needed to be able to receive me and what I had to say. They're in some kind of darkness. They're in some kind of witchcraft. They're in some kind of unrepented habitual sin there's something in their life that's secret or else they would be open to the breakthrough of God. She got in prayer with the Lord and the Lord told her, start with honor. You See, when you go into these villages, serve them first. Start with honor, serve them first. So they started going back to the villages and what she'd do is, is she would go into the village with the whole missionary team and they'd ask for an appointment with the, what they call the kings of the village, the chiefs of the village and they'd all come and sit and the whole missionary team, 30, 40 people would come and they would line up in front of the kings and, they, and, and the chiefs of the village and they'd kneel in front of them and they'd present them a gift and they'd look at them in the eye and they'd tell them their name and where in the world they came from. Some people came from Australia, some from UK, some from the United States. They'd tell them their name and where they came from and they looked at them in the eye and they said, and we came here to serve you today. And they would spend a whole day doing nothing but hearing their stories, understanding their people, presenting them gifts, doing things to serve them. And then at the end, they would ask for the ability to show the Jesus film and to be able to pray for the sick. Since that time, no longer rejected from villages. Village after village experiences the power of God We wanna be a blessing to the world. We need to do it the way that Jesus does it. Jesus came not to hit us with the truth. The scripture says he left the comforts of heaven to come to serve. If you're not getting with breakthrough with people that you're ministering to and you're wanting to be a blessing to, maybe you need to change your approach. Maybe you need to start with honor. Maybe you need to hear their story. Maybe you need to hear their story. Maybe you need to walk with Jesus down the Emmaus Road. And when people are in times of pressing and crushing, ask them questions to understand, not just to respond. I love the blind guy that comes to Jesus. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Come up to most charismatic people, they tell you, I know exactly what you want me to do for you. (laughs) Jesus has enough humility and grace to actually ask a question. Not to suppose, how would you like me to serve you? I'm preaching better than you responding. You're just convicted, so you don't wanna clap. I'll clap for myself. Praise (laughs) God, that's a good word right there. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I would like to be able to see. And Jesus said, okay then. Jesus understood, he encouraged, he presented them the truth and he hung with them enough to break it down into the pieces that they needed so that they didn't choke. Because that's who he is. Oh man, what if we were that way? Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing? I tell you, man, you'd have more miracles than you knew what to do with if you'd actually just figure out how to love people. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. I love this. Humility of Jesus, man. You wanna make people hungry that need God in your life? You wanna be somebody that makes people hungry for God? Try being humble. Humility is a rare trait in the world today, but it's attractive when people see it. Jesus was humble, listen to this. They drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted if he was just gonna keep on walking. Here's the guy that's the king of the universe. There's a party waiting to happen. The guy that turns water into wine at the wedding that's the guy you want at the party. And he just keeps on walking, not to suppose that he would be invited in. Are you seeing this? This is Jesus. He says he just keeps on, he just kept on walking. At the end of the journey, they have got to their house. See, you know, if you've partnered with people correctly, because when it comes time to part ways, they say, will you stay a little longer? (laughs) Jesus just supposed I need to keep walking. The guy is truth made flesh. The guy has all miracle working power. The guy's God, king of the universe. He built, he created the trees that made the wood that the house was made out of. He created the guys he was walking with out of the mud from the ground, but he doesn't have enough arrogance to just assume that he's gonna be invited in. Why do you think that you just have the right to be invited into people's life to hit them with all kind of your gospel truth? Who are you? You don't get the right to enter in to the house for fellowship with people until you've taken the time to love them on their journey, to walk their process out with them, to speak life in truth and partner with them. You don't get the right Jesus said, I think I'll just keep walking. But I think Jesus, as he was walking, he was kind of like, I guess I'm just going to go. Because <laughs> Jesus loves an invitation. Jesus said, Revelation tells us that he stands at the door and does what? Man, when I was a kid and I was still kind of freaked out about Jesus, my mom had like this little uh, porcelain, little tiny like knick-knack Bible thing that on one page was Jesus standing there, and then the other one said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And what church had showed me about Jesus is, if Jesus is knocking at the door, you're in trouble. (laughs) It's like Jesus at the door knocking, you're like, oh man, we gotta. (laughs) Turn out the lights. Close the blinds. It's Jesus out there. (laughs) We got Godfather one, two, and three on the DVD case. DVD case, we gotta get that (laughs) out of here. Grandpa left Miller Lite in the fridge. We got to get it out. It's grandpa's, right? We got we to gotta get ready. Listen to this. If anybody could just kick in the door if they wanted to, it'd probably be Jesus. But he knocks. We have a joke. Uh, you guys know Vinny, right? My father-in-law? You didn't know he was my father-in-law? That's not the joke. That's true. He's my father He comes over like every night just to see how we're doing. Some days it's welcomed. He don't even knock on the door. Jesus come to my house, he would knock. What are you known for in the life of people, a knock or a kick? Seriously, that's funny, but think about it. What are you known for in connecting with people? Here's the other thing, how do you perceive Jesus? See, communion's the road to clarity. Communion is how we get our ideas right about who God is, just by spending time with him. People should know God better when they're spending time with you, and you should know them better. Even Jesus knocks, so Jesus is like, I'm just gonna go a little bit farther, looking over his shoulder, and listen to what they say. Are you tracking with me? I'm about done. Oh, I can't believe it. We went late. Can you guys believe it? (laughs) Nobody's seat belted in. If you need to go, you're okay. Where was I at? Come back here. Oh, yeah, he acted as he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly. When's the last time somebody urged you strongly because they sensed the spirit of God on you not to leave, not to move on? You gotta stay, man, what a thing. They urged him strongly saying, stay with us. It's getting toward evening and the day's now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. See, Jesus added value to them on the road and that earned him a spot in their house. If Jesus can do it, you can do it. I said, I thought this was about me. It is, but it's about others too. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, listen to this. When he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And then they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11, those who were with them gathered together, saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. When they told what had happened on the road and then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Stand to your feet. If you're serving the elements, why don't you go ahead and come? We're gonna come to the table of the Lord tonight. What I love is that as the disciples walk this road with Jesus, their eyes were kept from seeing them because of the confusion, because of the disappointment, because of the anxiety. And Jesus is adding value to them along the way. Jesus is making a choice to commune with them. And it's not until they get to the house. And what I love is that, and a lot of, A lot of translations, it says that as they reclined to eat. See, in those days, you kind of reclined, you kind of laid on your side around the the table to eat. As they reclined to eat, said that he broke, he blessed the bread and he broke it. Here's the thing about it is that the brokenness that you've experienced on your journey, pay attention, this is my final point. The brokenness that you've experienced on the journey is turned in to a moment of revelatory clarity, breakthrough, revelation, new wine, whenever Jesus shows you that his body was broken for you, that no matter the pressing and the crushing, Jesus breaks a communal meal with you because it's one that both you and him can understand. And when you see that Jesus is able to enter into your humanity, Jesus is able to partner with you and say, despite the pressing and the crushing that you feel, know that my body has also been pressed and crushed. My body's also been broken for you. Receive of my life. And in that, they're reminded of who he is and who they really are. And they do the whole seven mile walk in one night to go back and tell the others that Jesus is alive. May the same thing be said of our lives, church, that we're willing to walk with people on the journey and that the whole time the goal is to be able to lift up the body of Jesus and to show them who he really is that's a beautiful thing so as we come to the table of the lord